My name is Marvelous Bukhari. This morning, we celebrate Children's Sunday by studying how it is a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. The state of faith in children, in children is in crisis. The church must see this crisis and without changing the substance of our witness, embrace a strategy that will lead to flourishing faith in the next generation. Please join me in reading God's word. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 to 12. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lit, lit, was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eurytus, sitting on a window sill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell, asleep, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, and took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home, alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Marvelous. You did a marvelous job. <laughs> Pun intended. It's like, yeah, I can get away with a dad joke right now. Um, that was good. Uh, you know, you, you can see that a passage like this is just a landmine for a preacher, right? I mean, it's about a guy that went on and on and on until someone fell asleep and fell to their death. So uh, intercede for me in your heart as we go through this, because uh, it is a sin to bore the kid with the gospel. That quote, uh, we'll unpack it more, but it comes from Jim Rayburn, the founder, the, the founder of Young Life. So uh, I want to first establish just a paradigm or just remind you of a paradigm. The word uh, pivot is something that became one of the most used words in the globe uh, when we had the global pandemic. Um, it was something that was formally used pretty regularly uh, when it came to politicians uh, who changed what they were saying but wanted to uh, keep the same platform uh, just with a different perspective. Uh, if you are in business startups in any way, uh, if you're an entrepreneurial, then you, then you know the word pivot is something that is an essential uh, element of your vocabulary. Uh, you can have a great strategy, a great game plan, uh, until you actually encounter reality. And then you've got to do nothing but, but pivot and figure out how it's going to work. Uh, you know this term, um, maybe not just through the global pandemic, but uh, if you are a sports fan in any way, shape, or form, then you know that there are uh, uh, terms in things like basketball, NBA, Spurs fans. Uh, you know, a, a pivot is, is when an athlete stops going one direction, and from their foot, they turn completely another direction. Um, sometimes they plant that foot, uh, and other times they don't. If you are a football fan or anything like that, uh, any sport that has a halftime, then you understand uh, a strategy change, a game change. 
Um, Tim, I don't know if you and Coach Trailer even had to change the game plan for the Roadrunners this week. You absolutely dominated. But most halftimes, coaches need to call a strategy change uh, just because you understand what you're up against is different. Uh, and so I want to make sure you're familiar with that um, today as we look at this passage uh, because we're going to look at the need for the church to change our strategy in reaching the next generation. Uh, and this passage is going to guide us in that. Um, the church has for too long, I mean for too long, just bored children and families with the gospel uh, and God's word. And we have to allow God's grace to awaken us and apply the relational reality that we have with our Heavenly Father to all of life, not just with one another, but especially with the next generation. Uh, I don't know if, if you read demographic surveys or studies. The, the Pew Report is one of my favorite. The Barna Report came out with something this this week. Barna came out with uh, something that uh, demonstrated the need for the next generation to have uh, people that come before them that actually have an authentic, passionate relationship with the Lord that's centered on his work and passionate about his work of justice. Uh, two weeks ago, the Pew Report came out with something for America in particular. The Barna Report was global. America in particular, and it was just devastating. Uh, I'm going to throw a couple of charts up there. I expect you to be able to read all of that right now and go. Just kidding. Uh, but you can see that first rise uh, that's up there. That is uh, where nuns will be uh, in just a decade and a half. And by none, what that means is that people who claim no faith. They don't have faith, so they claim in anything. No religion, no affinity, uh, no relationship with anything spiritual. It's just none. I am completely not related to any of the categories spiritually that we've had in the past. Uh, more than that, we see, uh, this is a very clear diagram uh, that you can follow, but the blue lines that are going up, the red lines that are going down, the, the blue lines are actually uh, the rise of non-Christians in our country, uh, the next generation that's leaving the faith, and the red line is uh, the fall of Christians. Uh, and by 20, I think it's 2060, uh, that Christians in our country are um, estimated to be a minority, which is including people who just say I'm a Christian and don't do anything about it. I was raised them, and people who are actually walking with Jesus. So that's, that's just some, just some sociological Pew research is not Christian. Um, it's just like, here's where we're going. And so even more so, uh, we feel the pressure. Go ahead and go to that next slide. If you don't mind, uh, it's a neutral slide as y'all are trying to read the chart. Um, here's the reality. Uh, those are just numbers and lines. All of us know people in our homes, people in our families, people in our classes, people in our neighborhoods, the next generation uh, who don't even consider faith as something uh, that is worth them investigating, listening to, caring about uh, in any way, shape, or form. There's lots of reasons for that. But right now, we're going to look at this passage and help us unpack uh, what a helpful, and I'm going to argue a healthy strategy is, uh, to reach the next generation. So before we unpack the word of the Lord, will you go to the Lord of the word with me in prayer and ask for his blessing? Let's pray. 
Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word. We ask that your spirit would do the work. Uh, we ask that you would help us not only to come into a deeper understanding of who you are and what you've done, but we ask, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom. Give us your eyes to see. Give us a burden, your heart of compassion to authentically and relationally engage the next generation with the faith of our fathers. We love you, Lord, and we pray for your mercy in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so if we look at this passage, you keep your Bibles open if you have them or your phones. Our hope is that the goal, uh, our hope is that the word gets in your heart. Verse seven, on the first day of the week, they were gathered together, breaking bread. Paul talked with them. He was, he was leaving the next day, and I love this phrase. He prolonged his speech until midnight. This dude was talking. I mean, he was talking a lot. And he was talking so much, we're going to see uh, that this Eutychus kid starts falling asleep. But we're tempted when we hear this to say, oh, okay, uh, he's talking too much. That means that the, the, the word of the apostle, the apostolic authority of scripture, must not be important. No. It's very important. The first point of this passage in looking at verse is that the substance of the message, it cannot change. And if you know the context of this passage, Paul has demonstrated the power of God's word being taught and proclaimed. If you go back to chapter 19, it's one of my favorite chapters in Acts. A spoiler, I've got 28 favorites, okay? But chapter 19 is an excellent one. And it is about Paul preaching in Ephesus, and you can see in verse 9 and 10, and then again in verse 19, he preached God's word not just for hours, not just for nights, not just for days, not just for weeks or month, months. It says he preached God's word for two years. And what happened? The whole economy of the region changed. Read Ephesus, and it is a game changer because it said all the people in Asia heard the gospel. So from the context, we see that it's not the substance that needs to change. It's God's word and his spirit that does the work. And if you can remember what we've unpacked in our series of witness, this is actually an invitation to you that God gives us as his, Christ, as his people divine appointments and that he goes before us so much to empower us that he uses his word and his work and his people in community. And so his spirit will use his word to do his work in our witness. The substance doesn't need to change. The second thing that we see from this passage, there's right up there, the sight of the crisis. It needs to be proclaimed. Now look, look what happens in this. Uh, looking at verse 8, you see this here. Uh, they, uh, well, you know what? We're going to go back to the end of verse 7. No, we're going to start with 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting at the window. He sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. <laughs> I love that. And Paul talked still longer. I mean, how many of y'all can identify with that? You got a text during church. Someone's supposed to meet you for lunch afterwards, and you're like, the preacher is talking still longer. <laughs> You know, I would get up if I could, but the crisis, though, he fell down from the third story window and was taken up dead. 
Now, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but you need to know this. I can see you when you're falling asleep, <laughs> right? Like, it's super easy to tell, and some of y'all try to keep a smile on your face while you're doing it, and that's really the dead giveaway, right? Where someone's eyes are getting heavy, but their lips are getting wider, and they're like, ah. their head starts nodding, they start slumping, you know? I understand, I get it. I just want you to know, I see it. There's no judgment here. I keep preaching. I've never called any of y'all out for sleeping, except maybe one of y'all, but the rest of y'all have it. And I guarantee that Paul, when he's going on and on, it says there were many lamps in the room. He saw the crisis. He saw Eutychus falling asleep. What he didn't put together was that, oh, that kid's sitting on a three-story window and he's going to fall. And this happens all the time. That we're doing something good. The substance of our message is God's word. The trust of the work is his spirit to do the work. But we see the next generation in falling asleep. And we don't take into account that when they fall out the window, they're taken up dead. That there's a legitimate crisis that's coming down from this. We don't feel the weight of that because as way of confession, sometimes it's just a lot easier to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. We, right now, need to pay attention to the signals and the symptoms that we're seeing in the next generation. And if we think we can avoid the crisis that's going to come, we're deceiving ourselves. Plain and simple. If you are a teacher, one of the most noble jobs that we have, if you work in education, public, private, home, whatever, we're grateful for that, but I don't even need to tell you this. You see it all the time. Families that are fracturing to the point of like explosion. Marriages that are just a war zone with no place safe for a child in their home. The level of pandemic crisis that's coming down upon the next generation in regards to mental health and emotional health, the obvious crisis that's coming from our foster care system, the horrible data that we have coming out just in, in uh, I'll just stop. I told myself I wasn't going to be data-driven. Yes. I, I want to say we need to pay attention. More than that, when we see the next generation going to sleep, we need to care enough to not change the subject, the substance of our uh, strategy, but to change the strategy itself. You know, frankly, church, this is why we have ministry partners. This is why we want to equip and empower you. Our ministry partners, we just took on two new ones that work with you in our city. Uh, we uh, have always supported Young Life joyfully. We have another Young Life area that we're supporting. Uh, we're supporting 
um, uh, School Connect, which has worked tremendously with schools, uh, public, private, um, but really with a holistic care to empower teachers. We're working with Youth for Christ and Young Lives. And there's so many, I, I feel like moving today. I feel like moving and uh, something's keeping me in a box here. I don't like, I like this. All right. Okay. Yeah. I've worked with Callan long enough to know it's just easier to listen the first time. But we really value learning from and working with our ministry partners who are working with the next generation in our neighborhoods and among the nations. Uh, tonight, we're going to have a lot of them that are here uh, in our worship service. It's going to be phenomenal. Uh, Ashley's nodding her head, FCA, I forgot to say that one. Okay, there's lots of them, there's too many to name. But my point is, we have to be able to find strength in our allies and to understand that the side of the crisis, it needs to be proclaimed, and we cannot wait until Eutychus falls out the window and is taken up dead. We're called to care and to show compassion. But we have hope knowing that God is a God of resurrection. And this is what we see, uh, what we see with Paul, the strategy to witnessing the next generation. It changes. And I love what he does here. If you look at the passage uh, beginning at verse 10, it says that Paul, he went down. He, he models incarnational ministry. He, he goes down. Uh, and then look what it says that he does. Uh, if I continue to reading, he bent over. And he took him in his arms. And then he said to everyone, don't be alarmed. Life is still in him. This is kind of like that Princess Bride episode. You remember that movie, Princess Bride? He's not dead. He's only mostly dead. Yes. And so somehow Paul sees what no one else can see. Uh, and when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten, and he conversed with them a long while. You know, what's amazing to me is this apostle who was proclaiming the word of God, when he saw the crisis, his strategy changed. He went down just like Christ came down for us, Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, took the nature, a form of a servant, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, he came down. And, and Paul grabs Eutychus, he shows compassion for him, he shows genuine concern, exactly how Christ shows compassion for us. And then he shared a meal with them. He ended his time before he went to the ship to leave the city uh, in genuine dialogue and conversation. It's a strategy change to reach the next generation. And uh, the, as I noted already, that sermon title, it's a sin to bore the kid with the gospel. It comes from Jim Rayburn. Jim Rayburn's the founder of Young Life. And in 1936, uh, Rayburn graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. He wanted to get involved in Dallas, Texas, uh, working with churches to reach the youth. But everything churches were doing was completely ineffective in reaching uh, reaching the next generation. And so what Rayburn did and really sparking a movement of uh, ministries that were creative and relational, fun and engaging uh, the next generation, uh, he started what he came to call a Young Life Club. And that Young Life Club was where uh, students would come and, and they'd have fun, they'd play games, they'd sing songs, and then they'd hear the gospel. And he backed up that work, not just coming to a club that was not in the church, but he started doing contact work. He started hanging out with uh, students on their turf. He went down 
on their school, watch their practices, learn their names in their homes. And then he did something that was, that was revolutionary at the time, which is more normal now. He actually took these kids that he had relationships with and he moved from uh, contact work and, and club and he took them camping. And he took them up in Colorado just to get them out of their element so they could really wrestle with real stuff. I mean, he completely changed strategy. This is the church that forever, they just wanted to uh, call students and say, hey, come to Sunday school. Hey, come to, come to, come to church. And Rayburn's like, uh-uh, I serve a guy that came to me. I'm going to them to bring the love of Jesus to them. And, he, and when they came to Christ after their camping, he started campaigners groups. And now I sound like a shameless plug for Young Life. I'm merely highlighting this man's method that turned into a magnificent mission where he said it's a sin to bore kids with the gospel. And we've forgotten it again. Somehow, our, our, our ministry, the next generation, has become completely programmed again. It's really difficult, but yet we understand the need for relationship. This week, our church hosted a, a breakfast where, uh, for business men and women, uh, BLE, uh, Biblical Leadership with Excellence. Uh, we had two of our own members that were sharing about faith in the workplace. Treve Sasser was one of them, and I don't see Larry in here. Larry's the other. Uh, and we had people come in, and the head guy said something. He's like, I wrote it down. Uh, this is business he's talking about. Um, uh, it is on my notes here somewhere. That's funny. Mitchell lost his place. All right, I get to laugh at him. <laughs> I can't find it. Here it is. He says, greater transformation happens in the workplace through relationship. That was his quote. Greatest transform greater transformation happens in the workplace through relationship, business mentoring. It's something we understand. When somebody wants to grow vocationally, that mentoring relationship matters. In our medical field, it's something that's totally normal. You go through a mentoring time where you, you get mentored by other doctors and nurses and, and then you're launched into your field. In, in education, if you're a teacher, man, we're so grateful for you. Have I said that yet? We're so grateful for you. But you understand there's a difference between a, a kid that's struggling in your class and you continue to teach, and the difference is you taking time and actually tutoring and meeting with that person one-on-one. We understand it in every aspect of life, but we've forgotten the relational substance that comes in discipleship in the church, that reaching that next generation may in fact call us to be uncomfortable. Now, Paul stayed up and ate with these folks all night long. When was the last time you lost a night of sleep because you were talking to somebody about the gospel? It's been a while for me. Now Paul raises Eutychus from the dead and he does this, it's included because Luke wants to be clear, he has the apostolic authority. He is a messenger of God and his message should be considered the word of God. Now this is something that's really rare in scripture where people have the power to raise folks from the dead, but in every case, the resurrection is intended to authenticate the messenger as an authoritative messenger from the Lord and the message that they speak, the word of God. One takeaway we can take from this is that we can really believe that the authority of that message that came through the authenticated messenger of the Apostle Paul and the rest of the apostles, it can bring resurrection power. 
that we of all people should not lose hope that there is hope in the gospel, that there is hope when the Holy Spirit uses God's holy word in the context of real genuine relationships, easy for him to say, that there can be a resurrection, that the demographic data that I put up there on the chart that was so hard to read earlier, it doesn't even matter. Because what matters for us, we, we can complain about, oh man, look, our whole culture is going, uh, going off the deep end, off the rails, what do we do now? The Bible, and the work of Jesus compels us as God's people to examine our own hearts and to be men and women who are set on fire with his love and his life and to look around us at that person in our classroom, at those people in our neighborhoods, those people that come into our offices, those people that are in our families at family reunions that are on our team, the people that we see, the brokenness that is giving birth to more brokenness and as Christ has done for us, intervening, coming down, in a way that shows his love and will bring his life. Paul says it this way, it's, it's very normal for him in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, that we can be so affectionate desirous of you, the church is what he's talking about, the church in Thessalonica, we're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you, the church, relationships have become so dear to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your love, the truth that, Jesus, you came down to us. We're humbled by that. And we ask, Lord, that you would use us to accommodate and to go down and meet the next generation where they're at. Lord, we thank you that you have shown us genuine compassion and connection. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us genuine concern for the next generation. And that while we don't change the substance of our proclamation, Lord, we truly would be humble enough to change our strategy and have genuine connection, that we would not just share a meal, but truly share life with people. Lord, we ask that you would revive our hearts and revive the next generation for your glory and the sake of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.